Hey guys, Brian Jodas here. We're talking about brands today on Pick Up the Six. Here's one that's part of my daily routine. It's our friends at Onnit. Onnit is a health and fitness juggernaut dedicated to delivering total human optimization to its vast customer base of athletes, thinkers, fitness gurus, entrepreneurs, and even podcasters. I love their products, including the emulsified MCT oil and Alpha Brain. So here's the deal with Alpha Brain. Psychologists call that feeling where you're in the zone flow state. Wouldn't you want to feel that way every day, you know, where you're just crushing things, getting stuff done? Well, Onnit's Alpha Brain can help you achieve flow state and supports other aspects of cognitive function for better memory, focus, and mental processing. Alpha Brain can help you remember names and places, focus on complex tasks, think more clearly under stress, and react more quickly. With its trademark ingredient blends, Alpha Brain builds an environment in which the brain can operate on all cylinders. You'll be a locomotive. We're going to get you 10% off of anything at onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T.com. Just head that way if the alpha brain sounds good or if you want some of that mct oil any of their products 10 percent off today just use the code pick six at checkout that's p-i-c-k-s-i-x at checkout and you're going to save 10 percent. go to onnit.com use that promo code pick six at checkout and save today let's get on it we are all loyal to certain brands right but are we more inclined to be loyal to a brand if you believe they're having a positive impact on the world? I'd like to think I am. And our guest today is driven by the mission of nurturing and developing those consumer brands that have that positive impact. His name is John Replogle, and he has a cool story to share with you on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. John, welcome. Hey, Brian. Great to be with you. I'm excited about this. A, a good friend, a mutual friend, a partner of yours, and a good friend of mine uh, connected us on this one. So excited to have this conversation and dig in on a few things with you. First and foremost, what is the optimal drinking temperature of a proper Guinness? <laughs> well, I prefer it extra cold. Um, so, you know, there was a time where just out of necessity, Guinness was enjoyed more at room temperature, mm -hmm. always a fallacy of room it really cellar temperature was the predominant way of drinking it. And then refrigeration came, you know, later to Ireland and Europe and, and they started to chill it more and more. And, and then uh, when I was running Guinness in the UK, we created something called Guinness extra cold. And we put a flash chiller underneath the uh, bar mm -hmm. uh, to create a super cold Guinness. And I, I frankly like it that way. So I'm a, I'm a cold Guinness guy, but 38 degrees um, is probably an acceptable temperature. Don't let it get much above, call it 42. Okay, but okay to, to put a pour, let it sit on the counter for a second, finish the rest of the pour, go from there. The ideal Guinness pour uh, is basically a two-minute pour. Mm. Um, and it's a two-part pour, so you'll pour it three-quarters of the way, let it sit, and then you top it off. And if you've got a couple skills, if you're in a bar, you can make a shamrock, uh, which is a figure eight uh, and a loop and a leg. And so 
I spent a lot of time in bars perfecting how to sure. pour, pour a pint of Guinness, pour a perfect pint of Guinness. So our listeners like Brian John just going to talk about Guinness and beer all day. What What's the point of Why this not? conversation? But it, I'd be happy to do that. It makes sense given this context. A very impressive resume, my friend. Dartmouth, Harvard, leadership and CEO, CEO roles that include Guinness, Unilever, Burt's Bees, just to name a few. And now the partner of One Better Ventures. So for our listeners, and we're piecing a little bit of that together, how does all of that, and it's a lot, but how does all that play out? Well, I'm, thanks, Brian. I mean, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate. I, uh, I knew early on that I really loved consumer goods. Um, I joined a company called the Boston Consulting Group, and we did consulting for different companies. And, and where, what I gravitated to were things that, uh, where the consumer was central. And after a number of years of consulting, I decided to join Guinness. I jumped jumped in as head of strategy, and uh, I was incredibly fortunate to have some mentors who coached and developed me and gave me opportunities. So I got to lead sales for Guinness in the U.S. I moved to London and ran sales there, and then I ultimately got a chance to run Guinness o- over in the U.K. and and then here in the U.S. and and that just kind of set the foundation. And uh, one thing led to another and, you know, so on and so forth. And here I am 30 years later, having had the, the great fortune to work with some of the world's great brands. Yeah. I mean, those are some names that folks have heard of before. Let me go back into the Guinness thing. That seems just like an incredibly unique experience. And to be able to experience so much of that, you know, overseas in the UK, just what, what was that and learning coming from a consultant agency and then jumping into that and joining one company, you know, one organization. Uh, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was, uh, fortunately, as I said, I had great supporters, great mentors, but it was like drinking from a fire hose. Mm. It was intense. This was a time when Guinness was really beginning to come of age in the U.S. We'd done our first TV advertising. We were rolling out distribution across pubs across the U.S., and I was living on, on an airplane, um, you know, moving across, meeting different people, uh, working with our distributors, taking them out, play golf. It was really hard work. <laughs> um, but, you know, to Drinking be honest, beers every step of the way, it, it, it there, there were there was an awful lot of, sure. uh, you know, working out the liver. Sure. And um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was a spectacular opportunity. And I finally got to the point where I had become president of Guinness in the U.S. Um, and I had a young family and um, and I had been spending a lot of time uh, with a coach. I had a, a personal coach who was helping me think through what are my values? What's my purpose? And I'd been working on my mission statement and it was a Saturday and my wife had had the kids in the morning and I agreed I'd take them in the afternoon. And uh, my head was full of these thoughts and noon came and my wife knocked on my office door and I told my coach, I've got to run and taking the kids. And I went out in the driveway, hopped in the car and my kids were buckled into their car seats. And I started backing up the car and I looked in the rearview mirror and I have what I call my spear in the chest moment. And that was the moment at which I realized that my purpose in life and my work uh, were incompatible. Uh, and basically, my purpose was to inspire people uh, to take great care of people and planet. And, and as much as I loved the opportunity at Guinness, 
it, it wasn't building a future for my kids. It wasn't caring for people and planet in that sense. And so I had this moment where I came back in after eight great years at Guinness. I walked into my wife and I said, I've got to make a change. Uh, and so I literally, I, I quit my job and started to find a company where I could live my mission. Wow. Uh, and that, that led me to a company called Unilever, which mm-hmm. is a big global corporation, but uh, really is, it, it is today seen as one of the pioneers and the leaders in sustainable business practices and got to work on something called the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty Yep. It was all about self-esteem in young women. And, yep. and so this this was a whole, I was 35 years old. I, I had the perfect job. I had a great wife and kids. And it was hard to make that call to leave it all and start over. But I want, uh, I want to talk about that Dove campaign a little bit and just the importance, because yeah. it, it sounds like you, you got the opportunity to start practicing what you believed in your heart was sort of your mission in life and, and the ability to merge those things together to be able to make an impact, to, to be able to not just be somewhere where we're creating a widget that serves some need, but to centralize in on the end user and all this, which is the consumer and, yeah. and thinking through not just what the company needs to make and create, but why they would consume it and, and how they will feel like they're part of it. And if you guys remember, and you can do just a quick, simple Google search, Dove Campaign Real Beauty. I was watching, re-watching, having remembered them from when they aired originally some of those ads today. And they're centered around, the one that I remember specifically was seeing a woman with no makeup on, regular hair, as if they just put her in the seat. And you guys will remember this when you watch it. And then it time elapses through the entire makeup process, the hair process, and then really importantly, the post-production Photoshop process to apparently get that picture ready for market. And then the key line behind all of it is just, no wonder our view of beauty is so distorted. And and I highly recommend you guys go back and and rewatch that. So John, to to be a part of that, to to sink in on something with such incredible purpose behind it, just take me back into that campaign and what it was like working on that. Yeah, so, you know, we spend more than half of our waking adult life working. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you're going to spend all that time, it's really hard to invest all that time in something that isn't filling your cup. Right. And so there, there's a tremendous saying that says, you know, your purpose is where your great strengths meet the world's great needs. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that. So for me, this idea of living a life of purpose is figuring out what you're great at and then applying it to you know, meet the world's needs. And we know the needs of the world are phenomenally uh, great today. And, and I feel like that's the journey I've been on the last 20 plus years. So Unilever was a super company. I was attracted to it, not knowing exactly how I would manifest my purpose there, but knowing that it fit better. Um, it, the whole idea, I was in the personal care business, right? Mm-hmm. Take care of people. Okay, that fits better. We had done some research um, and I was running a $1.5 billion division of Unilever with a $400 million marketing budget. So we'd done some research and we found out that 
uh, women's belief uh, in their own self-beauty was incredibly low. 97% of women didn't consider themselves to be beautiful. And here I am, I'm the dad of four young girls, and uh, that gets set very early on. And self-esteem in young girls is incredibly important. And most of what had been out there in the beauty industry was this uh, stereotypical uh, view of beauty, and, and it wasn't true. And so you mentioned the Dove Transformation ad, all the Photoshopping. The, the, the model that is uh, walks into the studio looks nothing like the model you see yeah, on TV. It's incredible. Yep. And it's, it's unattainable mm -hmm. and, and it's unhealthy. And so Dove set out with the idea that we were going to debunk uh, the, the myth about beauty, you know, that we were going to bring real beauty uh, to women everywhere. And so it wasn't just about um, makeup and cosmetics. It was about sizes. It's about full size women. It's about diverse women. It's about every kind of woman uh, can be beautiful. And so that was the whole idea behind it. And when we learned of these uh, insights by interviewing our children. Uh, and so we, we launched the very first Dove campaign ad on the Super Bowl of all places. So if you want to break stereotypes, you, you go somewhere where you can stand out. So we launched it on the Super Bowl. Uh, it was called True Colors. It was Cindy Lauper uh, sang the background music and it was this wonderful shot of all of these young women. And that was, we launched that campaign over uh, 18 years ago and it is still running today. So Dove continues to make, um, you know, the campaign for real beauty, their centerpiece. Mm -hmm. And think about that. I was spending 400 million a year. You do that over, you know, 15, 18 years. Well, that turns into $6 billion of, of marketing uh, to change people's views and beliefs. So that feels good to me. That was a, I knew I was on the right path. I knew that what I was doing was starting to go down that pathway of, of living my mission and purpose. And it was highly rewarding. Did you see other trends in the ad marketing space start to shift in that direction? You know, for me, the best ads are rarely the ads that, that tell you what the product does. They're ads that make you feel like by consuming this, by using this, by joining this, you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're, you're either part of a community or, or you're part of a brand that gives back in, in some way, shape or form. There, there's a great, it's a longer Budweiser ad with uh, Dwayne Wade. And the entire ad is about Dwayne Wade uh, getting basketball jerseys back from people he's impacted throughout the course of his life. They never talk about beer at all, mm. but it mm. makes you feel like you're part of what they're doing. Did, did you see a shift in, in that and what that narrative and what that, what ads felt like and, and look like and sounded like? Yes. Um, to answer you uh, directly. Yes. I mean, it, our, our campaign was highly recognized. We then got millions of free amplification, and then others started to follow in, in that pathway. But community and truth is the center of great advertising. So uh, being able to find a, a, a kernel of truth that applies to a very broad uh, population, those are great ads. Um, and so what happens with a lot of advertising is it becomes wallpaper. You know, you it, the, the expected gets tuned out. And what really stands out is what they call schema disruption. 
Um, and so, you know, a, a crude way to put this is, you know, if an airplane crashes, uh, it doesn't make the headlines anymore. It just kind of happens. But when it lands on the Hudson River, then it stands out. And that picture, you can mm -hmm. see that picture in your mind, right? That's schema disruption. And so what great, you know, brands and ads try to do is they, they go for schema disruption that's rooted in some truth that resonates with a broad community and pulls people together. Yep. And, and that's what we were trying to do. We're going to talk about One Better Ventures, how all this sort of funnels in that direction for you in your life. I have one more on the ad front because things have shifted and changed so much. And, and you talk about the Dove campaign that was at this point 15 years ago. And so it's a it's a different world. It's a different advertising world. It's a different world of of even communicating. And so from from the way that that was delivered to now how brands can constantly be communicating and, and in contact with their consumers through social media, through apps, through through all of that. How much have you just seen it shift to to even better engage and connect with your consumers? Right. So so what we've done is gone from mass marketing, broad marketing to what they call segment of one marketing, whereas, you know, through data analytics, you can understand consumers down to a personal level and you can personalize, tailor uh, messages. And so we've got hyper segmentation occurring today where, you know, things that get fed to you and me um, aren't also being fed to our sons or our wives. I mean, they they understand who we are and, and the really, you know, best ones not only understand our age and our, our gender and things like that, but they get into our behaviors, our psychographics, uh, and they begin to understand that and they see what else we look at, what else we buy. And then if you like this, you'll also like this. So mm -hmm. it's it's a whole new age, frankly, of, of you know, micro-targeting that allows people to serve up messages, yep. not just on a broad basis, but on an individual basis and much more effective. So if you believe you were put on this earth to take care of people and planet uh, yeah. and and while still at the same time helping, nurturing, uh, consulting these incredible businesses, having leadership roles, CEO roles with incredible businesses, all of that funnels, funnels towards one better venture. So tell us a little bit of, not, tell us a lot about what that is and, and yeah. what the focus is over there. So I, you know, what happened to wrap up the Unilever story is I, I felt like I had been partially fulfilled in what we were doing, mm -hmm. but, but a lot of the business practices, the products themselves, um, they stopped short of really, you know, going the, the full distance. And they, we certainly weren't doing much for the planet at that time. And so what brought me here to the, the triangle to Raleigh-Durham was a great company called Burt's Bees. And so Burt's Bees was this really cool hippie brand that came out of Maine. You know, Burt was a real beekeeper and Roxanne was a graphic artist. And um, I loved what they were doing. They were at the forefront of natural products um, and trying to create a more sustainable future. And so where Unilever had the big megaphone and a lot of money, Burt's was grassroots. It was true and it was authentic and it was, it was values-based. And so when I moved down here uh, to, to take on the lead role at Burt's, I just felt like we had an incredible canvas. Mm -hmm. And and there we created a community, a, a culture, an organization that was like-minded. We were all there for the mission. We were all there to, 
to care for people and planet. Um, and, and with that work, we set what I call BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. And one of them, this was 2006, one of them was to become the first zero waste to landfill manufacturer in the state of North Carolina by 2010. We had no idea how we were going to do it, right. but we enrolled <laughs> everyone in the company against this goal. And, and by 2008, lo and behold, we were zero waste landfill. We beat our goal by two years and we were the first. And the governor came out to our, our, our site, our manufacturing plant, pre presented us with a certificate. And nothing did more to galvanize kind of the mission, the purpose for every one of our 500 employees than, than being able to shatter that goal and, and to do real good. And so that was when I felt like, wow, I am I am doing exactly what I'm called to do uh, mm -hmm. on this earth. And and Burt's Bees for me was just a remarkable, uh, uh, formative experience, and one where I really felt like I I could do well on multiple levels. And and Burt's was our business model was called the Greater Good. So it was it was all about caring for the consumer, caring for our employees, and caring for our community, i.e., all of our you know uh, people in the Raleigh Durham area. And so we went out and we were a key partner with Habitat and built homes and. You know, there was there was volunteer days and we were just we were moving and grooving. It was phenomenal. And uh, and then we became a talent magnet. Everyone kind of wanted to work at Burt's because it was a cool culture with great products doing good in the community. And um, and I think that's the formula. That's the DNA of, of truly great and sustainable organizations. Mm -hmm. So that was the that was the spark where I felt like it all came together. Yeah, you're, um, you're kind of hitting that sweet spot where you're doing what you were born to do for those who you were born to serve. I mean, and when you can do that, yeah. you know, the rest of it can kind of just keep rolling. And, and that's yeah. where you're you're really hitting on it. That's the also, way it felt. And know, if any, anyone ever wants to see how we got to be zero waste to landfill, there's a great video still on YouTube uh, called Burt's Bees Dumpster Dive. And it's only three minutes, but you should watch it because... What we did is we collected our, we set this goal and then we collected our trash for two weeks and we threw a huge barbecue for all our employees. Um, but in order to get to the barbecue, we we laid out tarps on our parking lot. We dumped all that trash, two, two weeks of trash out and everyone had to go through that with the big Home Depot buckets and pick out their waste. Um, and so it was eye opening. People are mm -hmm. crying. They're like, wow, I didn't I had no idea. And it, it dramatically shifted behavior uh, for every single employee. And uh, lo and behold, that was the most successful barbecue lunch I've ever hosted. So, <laughs> yeah, no and, and that's what propelled us. Right. Yeah. It was this notion of ownership and connection and community. And, 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 you know, we did it in a positive, constructive way. And everyone wanted to make a change then. John, all of this then seems to funnel into this effort that you're leading now through One Better Ventures. Tell me about it. Great. So so my partners and I, we, we had a collection of folks from Burt's Bees and from another great company called Seventh Generation. We formed One Better Ventures here in, in Raleigh um, with the whole mission of doing well and doing good. And, and we want to invest in and advise uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs uh, that are committed to the idea of using business as a force for good. Um, so there's a there's a 
the predominant form of organization of company in the U.S. today is called a C corp. Mm-hmm. Um, and the C corp, the original model was your goal is to maximize profits for shareholders. Um, over the last 15 years, there's been the growth of what's called a B Corp or a benefit corporation. And benefit corporations believe that you can use uh, business to solve uh, problems, that you can use the, the power of business to do good. And so there are now about 4,000 benefit corporations uh, in the US and our goal at One Better Ventures is to identify those, to invest in them, to grow them, so that we can leverage our capital and our talents uh, to do more good in the world. And that's exactly what One Better Ventures does. And we've got a portfolio of of companies, uh, many of which we've invested in, some we simply advise. Um, And we're building a community uh, in the area that really gets stronger by the day. And so that's that's the current way that we're, my partners and I are amplifying our, our purpose and our mission and using what we've learned and the capital we have uh, to do more good. So someone's listening and they're, I'm very intrigued by B Corps and sort of this B Corps, you know, movement. What are you committing to if you, if someone's interested in setting up a company like that and and thinking a little more uh, external beyond just stakeholders, but into shareholders uh, or actually into stakeholders more than just shareholders, what what are they kind of committing to if they go down that road? Yeah, so there, there are several things. First of all, is is that shift from not just thinking about shareholders, but the stakeholders, the employees, the community around you. Um, and there are, there are a couple of ways to do this. One is you can simply start your business, or if you're currently an LLC or a C Corp, you can re-register your business as a B Corp. Um, and there are about 36 states in the US you can do that, Delaware being the predominant state where people register and you you become a public benefit corporation. The other uh, way to do it, and the more rigorous way, is you become what's called B Corp certified. So there's a group in Pennsylvania called B Lab, L-A-B, and you can go to their site and they have an impact assessment. Hmm. And you can go on and use their tools and you can see how well your company is doing versus other companies. there are, as I said, there are 4,000 uh, certified B corporations, over 100,000 companies have now done the assessment. And so you can get the data back on how I'm doing for the environment, the community, my employees, all the metrics. Um, and you become a well-rounded business, not just driving profit, but sustainable profit. And uh, and it's a great tool. And I highly encourage anyone who's interested in learning more to to Google uh, B Corp or go to the B Lab site and learn more and see what other businesses are doing. Absolutely. The Rep Logal family dog has made an appearance on the show. Uh, all good. We're, we are a pet-friendly environment here at Pick Up the Six Productions. So good to hear that dog. Please tell us the dog's name because that's one question I usually ask. The, the dog is Austin and Austin. Uh, it, it's uh, he's a wonderful old guy, but he is attached to my wife. So if my wife leaves the house, the dog is activated. So apologies for the background. No, no, no worries at all. <laughs> and uh, not the only animal uh, in and around your household. And you talk about Bert's bees and Bert being a legit bee yeah. man. I'm going to use terrible <laughs> vernacular, but you've also 
started uh, cultivating bees. I mean, I'm saying it's so wrong, John. School yeah. me up a little bit on it. I'm a beekeeper. Yes. Um, so I, I live in Raleigh and I'm on a pretty small parcel, but the beauty is you can do a lot on a little. So um, up until recently, you know, I raised my kids. My my youngest is now off to college, but uh, we had chickens. So we had raised chickens and oh, there's nothing better than chickens as pets. They're incredible for your yard uh, and the eggs are delicious. And then I would use uh, the, the waste from that. I had a composting system and I'd turn that in the compost. I've got an organic garden. And then on the edge of the garden, uh, I have 30,000 bees. So I have an incredible uh, beehive that just does incredibly well. And it's, it's fun. It's, um, it's a learning lab, but it's great for pollination. About a third of the food we eat is uh, requires bees for pollination, and uh, and I get about 128 jars of honey per year from it. So it's it's prolific. There's nothing better than homemade from your backyard honey compared to probably what you're getting at the store. And that's a neat neat thing to do. All right, one more fun one before yeah. we let you go. You've been so generous with your time. What is a daily must for you, John? Well, uh, I have several of them. Um, I'll share just a few. One, one is at my core is exercise. I am, I need to move um, to really spark a great day. So my morning routine, uh, large glass of water, um, tie up the shoes and get out and do some form of exercise. I love, you know, hiking at Umstead or running or it uh, doesn't matter what. Um, so that that is part of it. The other is I end of the day, I love to journal gratitude. Um, and so I, I learned both of these skills from a professor at Harvard named Sean Acor, A-C-H-O-R. Sean taught, taught the most popular class at Harvard called happiness. Um, and he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. And so I was so mesmerized by the book and some of the simple principles that that I invited him to Burt's Bees and we taught everyone uh, at Burt's how to be happy. And some of the, the tricks there were, you know, make sure you make time for yourself. And if mm -hmm. you exercise your thing, then put your bed, your sneakers by the edge of your bed so that the first thing you do is wake up and put on your running shoes. Love it. Okay. And then the end of the day, you know, uh, spend time uh, journaling uh, what you're grateful for. And so, you know, that is an incredibly important part. And that allows me to then start my days of gratitude. Um, and I think if you can get that whole system right, then everything else in the middle kind of flows. Yep. Fascinating, John. I feel like we could sit for hours and talk about these things. So grateful for you sharing your perspective. Guys, if you've had a Guinness, use Dove soap, use Burt's Bees, there's a good chance that John was a part of that process along the way. My friend, we are so thankful. And be sure to go check him out at One Better Ventures, doing incredibly strong work there. John, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, Brian. Great to be with you. And uh, to the audience, thanks for listening in. I'm Brian Jodas, and this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.